Okay, your business is like a party. Your marketing is your invitation, and HubSpot.com is going to be how you get all the cool kids to show up. Today, it doesn't matter how great your product or service is, without consistent content as part of your advertising, people will find another party to go to. So do what we did, swap out your set it and forget it website for a platform built for today's web. Listeners of the show will get a free digital marketing ebook just for following the link hubspot.com slash off the floor. That's hubspot.com slash off the floor. My name is Chris Lynam, and I am your host of Off the Floor, the show that is all about the learning process, the critical pivots along the way, and the positive ripple effects from those decisions. Okay, so this episode is going to be a little more raw, definitely a little more explicit, and it's all to bring you a lot of value. My guest today is Omar Sayed, and he is the co-founder of Ties.com, which is just one of the many direct-to-consumer fashion businesses that he's in charge of. Now listen, he could talk for days about fashion, and I could talk for days about dance studios, but today we are going to meet in the middle to talk about entrepreneurship, motivation, and even a little hip-hop. With so many people out there that are waiting for like the perfect time to do stuff, um, I think your story is such a great example that you can do anything if you really have the wherewithal, if you've got the guts and you're willing to make an imperfect attempt, no matter what time that you're doing it in your life. And so I want to hear about how you got this company started, because I think that is such a huge thing that too many people are postponing. And, uh, and I just want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me um, and for that wonderful intro. Um, to clarify one thing, the company was originally founded by my two business partners, Morgan and David. And to your point, starting a business, you know, when most people are either waiting or most people are um, figuring out what they want to do, um, there's never really a perfect time for anything. I mean, by the way, um, I don't know if you can say this on air, but congratulations, you're about to have another child. Yeah, um, there's you. never really a perfect time for it, right? Like your wife comes to you and she says, you're pregnant, you're like, great, we're, I guess, having a kid. Yeah. The same thing with marriage, right? Like, it's funny because um, I was actually telling somebody yesterday in the office, or somebody is getting married, and I joked around about, about getting married. And they're like, would you do it all over again? I'm like, man, that's such a daunting process if you really think about, like, you know, going through, like, the wedding planning and doing all that stuff. And I'm, like, so lucky that I have this really wonderful wife who's just, you know, she whatever she wants, she goes out and gets it. And so I didn't have to do a lot other than just sort of, like, write checks. But um, <laughs> she's, like, super, super awesome in that. She like figured everything out and it made my life really, really easy. But the process seems really daunting. And it's the same thing when it comes to like starting a business. You know, I, I think if you ask most entrepreneurs, even if they're crushing it, you say, hey, would you get started again? I think most of them would at least pause. Um, and if they're not pausing, then I, I don't know what the deal is. But I think most entrepreneurs at least pause and say, well, this is what I would do differently if they would start it all over again. But the truth is there's never a perfect time to launch, right? Uh, Reed Hoffman, CEO and founder of LinkedIn says, if you've waited for a project to be perfect before you launch it, you've waited too long. Yeah. And you know the notion is that A, you'll never make it perfect and B, there's 
like no such thing as perfection. And so being an entrepreneur is a journey and not necessarily there's no end. I can promise you like as much as success as I have both financially, but also in my businesses with my team, there's never a finish line. There's always like this next iteration of your business, this next iteration of yourself. So fall in love with the journey rather than the end result or the materialistic things that'll come from it, because all those things will be there once you get the journey going. And I'm the first person to tell you that being an entrepreneur is not the only way to self-fulfillment or mm. happiness in life. There's other ways to get there. And even if you're at a miserable job, there's other ways to be happy without, if you're unhappy, and you're a miserable fuck, like you, entrepreneurship isn't going to resolve that for you. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, that is so true. I know it's funny, like entrepreneurship has become, you know, such a big, sexy sort of title on your LinkedIn profile. But there are so many people out there that really have that as like a goal and not they don't necessarily know all of the ingredients that go into actually fulfilling something like that. And like you said, that it is like this never-ending thing. It's like putting parents on your Facebook profile. You know, it's, it's a, that's a never-ending job description and you're always working to make it better. Um, so you're in college and that's when ties.com kind of comes on your radar. Like how does that all come about? So um, I, I dropped out of school to pursue my first business. And in grad school, I decided that I wasn't going to do law school. And so as soon as I finished my dissertation, um, I ended up starting a consulting company that did really well. And while I was doing my consulting, I ran into my now business partners. And my consulting business was primarily business development. And we were basically building business units and I had this fantastic team that I put together. But I realized that it was a really unsatisfying job. The money was there and I was doing, I was sort of like crushing it, but the satisfaction wasn't there. But I, being an immigrant, a product of an immigrant parents, that's sort of like a shameful thing to say, like, oh, I'm not passionate about this or, mm. you know, because the truth is like, dude, you're fucking making money. What the hell? What else do you want? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was unsatisfying also in this way where if you're a consultant, I think if you have consultant uh, consultants listening to this, um, at best, if something goes really well on a consulting project, at best, it's a project that you can't ever talk about, or it's a project that like, some, it'll, it'll be successful, but somebody else always takes credit for it, right? The person who's brought you in as a consultant, they take credit for it. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you were their idea. Um, that's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is that it doesn't go well, but you have no idea whether the execution was poor or your idea was shit. Yeah. So, and that's like the worst, like sort of feeling. Um, and I always like to say the uh, best worst feeling is that when they execute it and the idea has worked for other people, and then they execute it poorly and then they blame you for it. You're like, man, this is, this is really <laughs> hurtful, right? So um, yeah, your reputation is constantly on the line and it just wasn't really satisfying. And like, you know, I had Coca-Cola as a client, Bank of America as a client. I like ramped up pretty quickly. I was lucky enough to meet really great people and people who believed in me. Um, and I delivered really fantastic services. So I think it was, in that sense, it was satisfying because at like 24, 25, 26 years old, you're sitting in these rooms with like decision makers and captains of the industries, but you know, it would just always turn out to be not, not very satisfying because when a project would go bad, then they would blame you for it. And then you're like this asshole that's sitting in a conference room, not even at the conference table, but you're like literally standing in a corner or sitting in a corner and people are like, yeah, um, uh, so-and-so like suggested this and like low key just throwing shade at you. And you're just oh, like, man, this is terrible. And like, all you want to do is get up and be like, you bitches didn't fucking do this right. Right. Like oh, that's all you want to do, but you can't cause you don't want to like lose the contract. So you sort of like, 
then it just wasn't really satisfying. So then I met Morgan and David and they told me a little bit about issues that they were having with scaling. And this is like right at 2009, 2010, when the market was just sort of plummeting Yeah. and they couldn't like get a handle on how things were going. They were carrying a really big payroll. Um, and the company wasn't focused even from what they were telling me, there just wasn't a lot of alignment um, in their values versus what was, what the companies were achieving. Um, and even the companies themselves, they were cannibalizing sales and they just, um, and I recognize an opportunity as an outsider, but it's always easy as an outsider to recognize these opportunities. Sure. Uh, but also because of my experience building e-commerce companies, I just saw areas that they just hadn't um, explored. So I came on board and then um, the reason why I'm a co-founder is because we sort of pivoted the business, not pivot in the sense where we um, brought on a different product. We pivoted in the sense where we added crucial business units to the business mm -hmm. and we focused our sales channels. And so the business reinvented itself sort of inherently as we were making these changes, but it was a grueling process. And then I put my money where, uh, where my mouth was. I didn't pay myself for the first, the, well, the first year or so I was paid. And then, um, but I, I knew when I sat down with them, I said, listen, this isn't for me about, about the money because I make money. Like I have money. Um, I want this to be a journey where I'll get rewarded if I hit these milestones, but I want to be a full partner. And that was the sort of conversation we had very early on. And so we crushed these milestones that we were setting, but it was funny because like every couple of years they would sit down with me or like every six months, eight months, a year or so they'd be like, okay, so you want to talk about this? I'm like, no, I'm not done with this. Mm. Um, because I, I knew we had more and you know, for anybody who's listening who wants to be an entrepreneur, you can be an entrepreneur. You don't have to leave off and, you know, start an Amazon business. You don't have to leave and start off like a drop shipping business, which by the way, I don't believe is a business. Yeah. But in any event, you don't have to do these things. You can crush it where you are if you have the right team around you mm -hmm. uh, and you can bring value. You can, you can do it anywhere. And so um, I really believe that I could bring value to the table. And so people therefore will reward you for it if you're with the right organization. I actually know this business where um, the guy really helped scale up a business from $1,200 to $60 million in valuation. They're doing $10 million this year and it's a 6X multiple for this business. Wow. And the guy, he's like, I have to leave because I'm not, I'm, I'm not even being offered equity and I'm like, that's, that's fucking shame because now he's going to go, he's going to murder it. Like, I know you will. Like, and, and I told, and I told the guys, I'm like, dude, this is not somebody you want to lose. Like this guy is the reason why you guys are successful. And they just, I don't know in any yeah. event, but yeah. So if you're bringing value and you're with the right team, you, you can't be an entrepreneur where you are without having to sort of like leave and, you know, work at it from your underwear. <laughs> telling people putting putting it on your instagram profile that you're an entrepreneur <laughs> just leave that part blank for a while and just do the work mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. so yeah. when did you feel like was there was it a particular metric that you guys hit like a kpi or something where you were like okay it's working like there's the momentum that you have from like believing in yourself and your skill set and the team around you but then what was the point where you really were convinced that you were doing right by these guys you know now your co-founders you know, the truth is that there's like a level of trust that goes both ways. Um, if you are the kind of individual that can deliver value and you're teamed up with people who see that value, I think it's like a two-way street, right? Um, look, my dad was a very hard worker in his life and 
And I just, I'm not just saying that because it's my dad and I love him, but he really was like, I would do anything to have someone like my dad on my team. Um, mm. He cared about his employees. He cared about the business. He was with the business when there were like seven people and they grew it to 700 people. And he was along with the journey, but he was never considered an insider. He was never given equity. He was never taken care of um, in that sense. And he was always grateful for at least having a job, but that's sort of a very immigrant attitude, right? Uh, under those conditions, that's the perfect sort of example of somebody, it's a one-way street where somebody just gives and gives and gives and doesn't get the rewards back other than just a salary, right? Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, and my dad's sort of time, for him, he was like, my reward is my salary, right? Like I get mm-hmm. to live and, you know, as an immigrant, I get to buy a house and, you know, these things I get to choose some American dreams I may not be driving, you know, Lamborghinis, but I, you know, I'm, I'm providing for my family. Um, and he always like puts, he used to put it in context and he would say, yeah, but remember, you know, five, six years ago, we were living in an apartment and now we get to have a house. And so he always put things, he's built a lot of like what I had called perspective in my life. He's built that in me where I, if I'm upset about something or things are not going my way, then I put it in perspective. I'm like, okay, but look at this way, right? It's having that level of uh, emotional intelligence and conscientiousness. But it's a two-way street. Like if you're in an environment where people can recognize that, then that's great. But what were some of the metrics that we were particularly looking for? Um, you know, to be honest with you, uh, my partners aren't as analytical as, or at least not my business, uh, Morgan isn't as analytical as he is. For him, it's all about gut feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, for David, who's our tech co-founder, he was just like, look, as long as we grow, I'm totally okay with any decision that, you know, we collectively make. But for me, I had metrics, you know, and I think that's where sort of the onus was on me. Even when they approached me, I'm like, no, guys, like, look, I appreciate it, but let's wait till we hit this because Mm. um, it's almost this like sort of code of honor that I think is currently missing because I think now we're just like, oh, me, 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 me. Um, For me, it was like, yeah, I know we're growing, but I think if we hit this growth, then it makes sense. And it was everything. It was everything from developing. So we're a vertically integrated company, which means we do everything for design to production, quality control, packaging, down to customer service and distribution, everything happens in-house. And of course, the marketing, the, the tech that we develop, everything happens in-house. So for us, it wasn't just like this, oh, let's hit this, like these Instagram followers, these arbitrary numbers. We weren't chasing arbitrary numbers. We were chasing business development, uh, growth, and, and all of these facets, right? I spent eight months on the ground in, in China developing processes. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't just this one thing. And, um, and then I took like ownership, right? That's the other thing. I, I think that's what's missing from like our generation of millennials versus the uh, newer generation of millennials, you know, the ones that were born super late 80s uh, up to sort of like 90s, right? That generation, I think there's a disconnect because, and I'm not harping on them, but there's always like this sense of entitlement, like what are you going to do for me sort of attitude, right? Yeah. Um, and the one question that I always fear candidates ask when they apply for a position here is how much vacation time do I get? Because I'm like, <laughs> wow, like, that's what you're concerned about. Get the fuck out of here. Cause yeah. I don't give a shit like what you want out of your life. I don't give a shit. If you want balance, go fucking work at like corporate America. If that's what you're looking for, you're here to learn something. Like if you're with me, if you're in this environment, you're here to learn about your craft and like learn what you're good at. And you're going to, you may not love me, but you're going to respect me. And like, when you walk away from this, you're going to appreciate this experience. 
Mm. And like, don't ask me for how many fucking days off you get. Cause you do get PTOs and we give you free lunches and there's free snacks and there's a nap <laughs> room and there's dogs running around and you get to sit in cool offices and we do company activities. Don't fucking <laughs> ask for it. Cause you like at 22, you shouldn't be asking for it. But like at 22, 24, 26, 28, you should be just figuring out like how to learn as much as possible. If I am, you know what it's like, I was telling somebody the other day, I've spent not in the past nine years traveling to China four times a year. I have a place in the city and I'm constantly over there. The other day I was listening to, um, I shouldn't say this, but I was listening to a documentary while I was driving to work and they were talking about Shenzhen and they were talking about this like thing that happens there. That, and I travel there like twice a year and I don't know about it. And I'm there for nine years. So if <laughs> I'm constantly learning, you know, and I'm like 35 and I'm constantly learning, there's no reason why like at 24, you shouldn't be learning or, if I'm finding the time, there's no reason. Like I still fall asleep with a book on my chest or a laptop open or an iPad open, like watching something like constantly. My wife hates it because, you know, like I'll knock stuff off the bed on the, onto a hardwood floor <laughs> and it wakes her up. But if I am constantly learning, there's no reason why anybody else shouldn't be. So that's, that's the sort of like issue I have with the younger generation of, of millennials versus our generation of millennials. I think there's a huge dissonance yeah. If we were looking at your high school yearbook, is there anything that you could point out that would say this guy is going to end up where he is today? Like, was there like a moment, a picture? Did you win most likely to succeed? Was it best dressed? Anything like that? Um, well, I always dressed really well. I'm not going to lie about it. Um, <laughs> you know, my high school guidance, like those, those career counselors, she told me that I should be like a GM at a hotel. I, I don't know where she pulled this from. It was such a specific thing for her to say. It actually really offended me while I was in high school. Cause again, I grew up in an immigrant household. Yeah. Right. And I was like crushing it grades wise, like, and, and socially it was like a popular kid. And I got like really offended because I was like, how dare you think that I'm going to like manage a hotel? You know what I mean? And this, yeah. that's no disrespect to anybody who's doing it. And obviously now that I'm older, I realize like those guys money-wise just crush it. You know, somebody who like manages an entire hotel. Sure. But at this time I was like, that's what you think of me. You think I should like work at a hotel. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it was A, my limited understanding of like that kind of job. But B, it was such a specific thing. Because I remember like my friends would go to them and they'd like, she would give like genres of categories. But for me, it was like so specific. <laughs> uh, but now that I'm a little bit older, I realize, I think like rather than her saying that, and this was probably maybe her fault. Um, rather than her saying that what she should have said is, and, and maybe she couldn't like, because entrepreneurship wasn't a thing back then. Yeah. Maybe what she just said is like, Hey, I see you running an organization or being in charge of things, but people have always told me like, Hey, you're really good with people or you're, you have a charming attitude. But the truth is that I don't think any one of those things are necessarily indicators for success because I know plenty of charming people who don't do anything but fucking watch Netflix every single night, yeah. right? Uh, but I also know a lot of introverts who are really, really successful. I, I know a lot of people who failed high school who are, then became really successful in college or are really successful in life. I know a lot of introverts who don't talk to a lot of people who are really successful. I know a lot of popular people who are now just like, you know, still promoters. I know a lot of yeah. popular people who like, you know, haven't done anything with their lives. So I don't think high school is necessarily an indicator. And um, you know, we tend to like glorify sort of like college years and high school years where we had like moments of like popularity or moments of like in the limelight. And we sort of like stick to those notions. And 
that's never an indicator for because nobody gives a shit what you did in the past it's what you're doing now and what you're achieving now and i think that's what matters more and i'm a wholehearted believer of when it comes to your personal achievements even if at 42 you haven't achieved yet i i wholeheartedly believe there's still time for you to achieve Mm-hmm. The internet has made it so much easier for people to go out there and crush it. Yeah. Um, I think it's made it more difficult also for people to become or, or be rewarded for those actions, right? Like if you're seeking fame on the internet, that I think the internet, because there's so many videos being uploaded, there's so many people on Instagram, there's so many influencers out there. I think yeah. that has become more difficult, but that's not synonymous with the business world itself. I think the world of internet has made becoming like seeking success on, on the internet so much easier or rather becoming wealthy so much easier or having mm-hmm. extra income so much easier. I, I was listening to a podcast or a thing that Gary Vaynerchuk said, he was talking to this kid and he goes, the kid that was in 1973 listening to you would punch you in the throat right now for saying the things that you're saying. <laughs> That's true because like, you know, those kids that didn't have access to the internet, those kids that didn't have access oh. to information, could you imagine doing drop shipping business in 1973 <laughs> or 83 or 93? Right. right. Like unheard of. So the internet has made it really like sort of like possible for you to start businesses, to like achieve wealth in a different way that your parents were able to do. So I think if your audience is listening to anything, it's never too late to do anything like that. It's always like a great opportunity for you to get started. That's great. Well, I think it's so uh, relevant what you talked about with that guidance counselor and how limited things were. The wide open space that we have right now. Um, I remember a screenwriting teacher. I was super excited to to write feature length screenplays. And so a group of us started this club. We're going to be like co-writers. We were all going to try to like submit scripts together. We're going to edit each other's work. And then he pulls us all together and he says, you know, what would be a really great thing for all of you guys to focus on is writing short scripts for public service announcements or for like PBS or for business uh, how-to videos because you'll never make it with feature-length scripts. And, and it turns out that this guy, that's all he did in his occupation when he wasn't teaching. And I remember being so, it was like a gut punch. You know, here's a person that's supposed to be like amplifying your vision and then they completely like put a lid on it. I hate that. Uh. Well, you know, they always say like, why would you ever fucking listen to anybody who hasn't, who hasn't done it, right? Like if, they, or if they're not there yet or they've never made it, why would you ever listen to their advice? Kanye West has this like intro to this song where he says, I will never fucking listen to advice to anybody who makes less money than me or isn't as successful as me. It's not quite that, but like, I think there's some, some truth to that, right? And this is the same for your parents. And like, I absolutely love my parents and they're successful in their own right. My dad has a PhD, my mom has a master's degree but their notion of success is completely different. Like they would have been perfectly fine with me doing a nine to five and like, you know, just driving a mediocre car, living in a mediocre house. And to them that is success because it's, it's different, right? Those notions are different for different people. And so you ought to seek advice from people who have made it there. And so, yeah, so if this guy's like giving that, you should, you should go back and punch him in the throat if he's still around. <laughs> um, I hope that answered the question. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Well, I want to talk a little bit about just the the scaling aspect. And, you know, a lot of the people in my audience are small business owners. And when your company is vertically integrated like yours is, you know, it's a little bit like a small business. Like everybody has to wear, you know, they've all got their own individual roles and you've got everything in-house. But there's a lot of small businesses out there and, and whether it's franchisees or, you know, a small business owner that they want to kind of protect. They're always like on defense 
and they're not really thinking about offense. They're not thinking about going from like one location to, you know, three locations, five locations, whatever the case may be. You're getting um, ready to launch another location, right? Yeah. So we are, yeah, we're launching, we're launching two new locations uh, this year. So we're getting ready to open our sixth dance studio in San Rafael in Northern California. And then we're, we're going to open up Salt Lake city and it's a market that hasn't been open in like 30 years. And so we're doing oh, congrats. Those. Yeah. Thanks. Um, but it is, it's kind of a shift because for us, like we had a lot in our industry, we had a lot of people that kind of got to a point where they would have their one location and that was kind of like their everything. And then going from one to two was like that really big jump. And it just seemed like going off the edge of the planet. What would you say to people that are kind of in that point where maybe they have the capability, but they don't have like the belief that they can do it? Um, motivation, right? Like what's your motivation for doing this? And then what was the motivation for you getting into it? Um, if your motivation is financial security, maybe you want to help your parents pay off a mortgage, or maybe you want that extra toy in your garage, whatever the motivation was for you to initially get into it, do you still have that hunger to say, I want to do this? And I think like timing matters also, you know, like if you're, you know, in the middle of like, you're just about to have like, you know, your third child, are you able to add on, you know, like an extra set of responsibilities? And so I think it starts off with like motivation, then it gets into like where you are in life and where that is. And if you can answer those questions, I think you can like sort of lead yourself down the sort of answer whether or not you should open a second location, a third location. Um, for me, like motivation plays a really big factor into almost everything I do. Now that like I have achieved, you know, a moniker of success and, you know, like the, the cars are in the garages and the vacation houses are there. And, you know, like now that's there, what now worries me are things like, a, I don't want to become complacent and B, I don't want those things taken away from me. You know, my dad used to say always things like it's easy to achieve things. It's harder to keep them. Mm. And that always used to like when we bought our first house, I remember my dad sat my brother and I down and, you know, like I was 18, 19 years old and he was like, it was a proud moment for him, you know, for him and my mom. And they were like so gracious, but like give help, like giving us credit for like helping achieve this goal. And it was like this sort of monumentous moment in our lives. And I will never forget this because it's easy to buy a house. It's really hard to keep it. Wow. And that is so true. Um, and for an immigrant to like all of a sudden go from like paying rent with no responsibilities and somebody fixes the, the, the faucet if it breaks and, you know, if the window isn't closing quite right, you pick up the phone to yeah. now having a mortgage and there's, there's like social pressures that go with it, but there's like financial pressures that go with it. And he said that to me and it like kind of sunk in. And as I'm getting older, it's sinking more and more. And as I achieve more, and as I have more, as we buy more, as we launch new businesses, it becomes um, sort of like, I understand that point even more. So, so motivation is really important to answer that question. And what I would say to somebody who's like thinking about opening a second gym or opening a, a third, you know, Jamba Juice, um, if the business model makes sense and you have something that's really unique than everyone else, then yeah, if you've been able to make it work somewhere, uh, you know, most, most people who do physical locations understand their business model better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I got a buddy who's the co-founder and CEO of a really fantastic ice cream store out here. Oh, cool. And they have like, I think there are like 25 stores and it's all like sort of in Southern California. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're about to open one in the Bay Area or at least thinking about opening one. It's called After's Ice Cream. Okay. And we talk about it all the time. Have you heard of After's Ice Cream? No, no, no. It sounds. Yeah. Scott, you're welcome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Scott, uh, we're coming for you. <laughs> I'm yeah. Look you up so, right now. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, you better Venmo me right now. But no, <laughs> he has this like really, um, he, he knows his business model and he's got his costing down. He knows what it costs for him to open the store. He knows like how long it takes him to turn a profit. And so, you know, if you have the sort of business end of it, if the motivation is there, you have the business end of it, the logistics down. And if you have something that's truly unique, then yes, you should go for it, right? Like the fear of like, hey, I might lose money. The fear of like, oh, it's going to be more work. The fear of, of, of failure, that shit is always there. That's with anything, right? Then you might as well not get married, not have a partner, not go to college or anything because those fears of failures are always there. Just push through it. If whatever your motivation was to initially get into it, then find that same motivation to do the second one, the third one, the fourth one. That's it. Well, I think too, like what you just said, it's like, it's going to be there whether you have one or you've got 100, you know, you're still going to be worrying about the same stuff, but it is just at a different scale, right? Yeah. Because when the economy turns, it's going to turn against your one location versus your four locations, right? So what is it that you're doing that's unique versus everyone else? That's so cool. Well, speaking of unique, I think what's really cool and, and, and I'm not sure if this was kind of part of what you sort of brought to the table, but I, I really want to pick your brain on this. But from a marketing standpoint, you guys really go out of your way to create a lot of value for the end user, you know, and, and that's really helped you guys from an organic standpoint, you know, all of these how-to videos. I'm sure I tried watching the how to tie a bow tie video at some point. And it still never worked, but that wasn't any discredit to you guys. But so talk about that. Like, why is that such an integral part of, of, a, of a business, whether it is a brick and mortar or that we're talking about something that's online? Yeah. Then now we're getting sort of to the meat of things. And if, if your listeners have made it this far, this is like where the fire comes in. I believe okay. in three things when you're launching a business. You have to at least have two of these components for your business to be successful. Having a control over your supply chain. So you do something unique in that process that makes this product whether the molds are too expensive to, to, to make this product and not a lot of people can, can get, you know, spend 50 to $80,000 making a mold that makes your supply chain, it protects your supply chain. You have something that's unique or you have a, a really great process of building a product and bringing it to market that nobody else does, you know, or not many people do. And so that's component number one. Component number two is that you have some sort of an insight into marketing. Maybe you're really super hip and you got it in with all these social media influencers, um, or you have, you know, you're really great at Facebook ads, or you're really um, good with like paid traffic acquisition on Google. Um, whatever it is that you do in marketing must be so much better than most other people. Um, that gives you that advantage. The third component to sort of building a successful business is the product itself, um, not necessarily unique, but the product itself adds a value that can't be found anywhere else or you're first to market, right? And a, sure. or a combination of both. And first to market isn't always like, you know, Lyft was first to market, but when was the last time you said, I'm gonna Lyft somewhere? You always say, I'm gonna Uber somewhere, right? And I use Lyft all the time, but you always say, I'm gonna Uber somewhere, right? Like Google wasn't the first to market. Um, Facebook wasn't the first to market. It's just that they executed. They had the other two components there. So of these three components, if you have two of them, that's what gives your business a sense of uniqueness. And I say unique uh, with a lot of trepidations because in college, I had a professor, um, if he's listening, um, <laughs> Father Malinsky, and he told okay. us there is nothing unique in the world. Don't ever use that word ever. Like <laughs> nothing you do will ever be unique. So the, the word unique doesn't exist anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he actually called me out while I was speaking at, at a presentation and he said, never say unique. So I try <laughs> not to use that word um, ever, or at least when I use it, I, I give this story. I, tell, I, I, I talk about Father Malinsky. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, so just remember that like what will make your service or your product or your business, what will give it the advantage of having two of these three components. So then I'm sure that now because you're creating, you know, and this is where now I think when you're really utilizing one of those things, like if you talk about the marketing, when you're really killing it on the marketing, you're saving so much money in the long run, you know, because of the fact that you're going to get such an organic presence because you're creating so much value. And I think all those things kind of tie together, right? Like all of these things allow you to probably add more people to your team because you're saving money because you're acquiring customers at like a lower spend, right? Yeah. So yes and no, our cost of customer acquisition is always an evolving formula. Um, Whenever I meet people, uh, whether it's in marketing, when they say, what's your cost of customer acquisition? I always say, well, right now, Um, because it's an ever evolving. It also depends on like what channel you're chasing those customers, the quality of the customers are going to be different at different channels. Um, and you're acquiring customers at different stages. Also, um, somebody who has already gotten married, they don't have the same motivation as somebody who's about to get married as a customer. Sure. The value of that customer is slightly different for us. Right. Um, but putting out marketing content, if anybody comes up to me and says, Hey, I want to really focus on SEO. I'd be like, okay, we'll get ready not to make any money for the next like year and a half. You know, they used to say eight months, but I'll say a year and a half. Right. Like that's cool. And, and SEO is the kind of game you ought to play long term, but you're not going to make any money right away. Right. Cause there are people who've been doing it for far too long and, and understand content much better than you do. And their domain ranks a lot higher than yours. So get ready for sort of like, unless you're like in a hyper niche market or hyper active location that you're looking to do SEO, it's a long term game. And I absolutely recommend people doing it, but just remember, you're not going to make any money. Conversely, if somebody comes up to me and says, uh, I'm going to do SEO for long term and I'm going to create content for long term, then I say, okay, cool. So for us, SEO, nine years ago, when I said I wanted to do it, and you made a statement about like having convictions uh, when, when you do stuff, um, that's where like sort of conviction came in. At like 26, I had to tell 40-year-olds in this company that I wanted to focus on SEO. And they were like, no, dude, that doesn't make money. We know how to make money on ads. And I'd be like, yeah, but I don't give a shit about your ads. Like, mm. I know the returns on it. It's cool. We can keep it going. But I also want you to focus on, on, on content. And then I would go home and think to myself, like, pray, like, oh, my God, please don't let Google <laughs> algorithms or, like, drive home. Because like, SEO is still, like, sort of, like, in its early stages. Like, it had been, like, five, six years that SEO had become a big deal. And so when we were doing it, I had a lot of conviction in my voice. Um, but I'm sure like there were nights where I would like stay up at night and think to myself, like, man, these people have like mortgages, they have kids in college, they have, you know, like the car payments and like, I'm really changing the way we are going to do marketing and the economy was doing really bad and there was like no end in sight. And I would come in and we had this board that shows how many orders there are. Mm. And I would look at that board and be like, man those numbers are not high at all. And like, and you literally do simple math in your head and you're like, dude, I'm going to be able to pay for this day. But like I had enough conviction to believe, I know what the future holds. As long as we stick with it, we stick to our principles, it, it'll come. But SEO is a lot easier to get into. So what that has done for us is 
it has reduced the cost of customer acquisition overall. But when we enter new markets where SEO is not yet a thing, like for us, in order for us to acquire customers via Instagram or Facebook, those costs are increasing and probably exponentially increasing because everyone's entering into Instagram. Like five years ago, yeah, about four or five years ago, Instagram marketing was just something really hip, you know, sort of like guys in their basement marketers did, right? Like these guys yeah. would reach out and be like, yo, I know how to make you money on Instagram. You'd be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but like those guys, like these guys who would like, you know, sort of like what was considered not necessarily blackhead, but these guys who were like at the forefront of marketing, right? And then you're like, how are you going to make money on Instagram? And these guys are like, hey, I know how to do it. Now that, now we know, we think of like, Instagram marketing as a thing, but there are people who just didn't even care about it. Like I know I, a friend of mine bought a house off of Instagram. Like he bought his house wow. selling keychains. Like he, when he told, when I first met him, he told me that story. I was like, that's a joke, right? Because no man, I bought my house um, selling keychains. You know what the funny thing is? He tells the story now. He's like a super funny guy, but he tells the story. He goes, I used to tell people, I would say, because they would make fun of him. He'd be like, this keychain is going to buy me my first house. And people would laugh at him. Yeah, they'd be wow. like, whatever. I mean, you sell these keychains for like five, 10 bucks or something, right? And dude, he was just crushing it, you know? And so anyway, so to go good, to go back to, to answer your question, yeah, so the cost of customer acquisition is kind of coming it's, it's down overall. But generally, in order for us to get into a new market, it's getting more and more expensive because, um, you know, those, those like channels are becoming more and more expensive. And so, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, that's where sort of like, the majority of the leads are and you know like how much time i mean look at your battery time how much time do you spend on instagram versus facebook versus anything else right youtube or anything like that you see that like most of the time that you spend is on social media than anything else yeah uh, i mean for me it's definitely instagram and that's partly because i'm millennial but still like i'm <laughs> a lot of time on so it serves the people that like are trying to reach out to me to do advertising on, on Instagram. So, and that's getting more and more expensive. I know like, you know, these influencers who are making insane amount of money being, you know, for activations and for, for all this stuff. And it's really interesting. Like I know influencers who are like 18, 19, 20 years old who are making way more money than I am. And I'm like, how, wow. how did I miss this boat? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Right. I know. Well, and I think what you said about that, it's, it's going to be constantly, it's just like, it's just like innovation and tech and it's going to, it's going to constantly, you know, it's going to, you know, double, you know, year over year. Right. And so because the, the price point just to get in is going to consistently go up to acquire customers, it, it only is the, it's even more of a reason why any business owners out there are entrepreneurs that aren't active and aren't really savvy from a marketing standpoint, why they need to kind of get over themselves and just like take the plunge or hire somebody, you know, and get into the marketing game, right? Yeah. So the, the notion that, you know, the, the whole doubling thing every, every, every two years is, is the notion that uh, what's the name I've come up with uh, when it came to processing power. And it's also very true in marketing also. And the truth is yes, but I wholeheartedly believe that what's going to happen is new platforms are going to come up and these new platforms are going to, again, reduce the cost of marketing. And then as those platforms become more established, it's going to get more and more expensive, right? At one point when you like Facebook marketing was like nothing, right? You pay some, some kid out of his underwear, like he's running some page a hundred bucks and you know, like your sales would boost up and now that's no longer the case. I think the next platform is around the corner 
as an entrepreneur, you have to be able to recognize those opportunities. And to your point, to all those people who are A, not paying attention to what's happening in the marketing place or being complacent about their current marketing endeavors, what I'll say is, remember when encyclopedias was a thing and Bill Gates went to Encyclopedia Britannica and said, hey, I'd like to make this into a digital format. And they told him to go pound sand. And then later when Jimmy West came up to him and told him, hey, nobody's going to care about your Encontra or whatever it was called Encyclopedia on a disc. Like it's all going to go online. And he told him to go pound sand. Mm. Um, there's always like an evolution that happens whether you like it or not. Uh, I mean, who has a, a set of encyclopedias, you know, like <laughs> you, maybe some hipsters where about where you live or where I live. I'm sure they <laughs> most people don't, right? Because almost everything is available on this phone here, right? Yeah. Um, all the world's information. Uh, I mean, we use it to argue about memes and, 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 and scores <laughs> and athletes. But the truth is that like that holds all the information that like once were held by greatest libraries. So um, I, I think what's going to happen is a new technology will form if it hasn't already, a new platform will be there. So the cost of marketing will always fluctuate back and forth. But what has to happen is for people to be able to recognize it and understand that like the old, like I still get this guy who's like trying to hit me up about like mailers and I'm like, mm. bro, like, thanks. But I know, man, like, and, and there's, and I'm not saying that like, some people can't be advantaged by it, but like, that's not the kind of exposure I'm looking for. You know, like, I'm not trying right. to hit like 2000 homes. Like I'm not, I don't run a local business. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I can hit 2000 homes with like one swipe up on my own Instagram in the first five minutes I post it. Yeah. So that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for like the next evolution of, of, of marketing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I would say. Wow. I mean, it's different by the way, for, like what you do versus like what I do, right? Mm -hmm. Like you run a hyper localized business that's limited by its geography, right? So the homes around it, the foot traffic, the, 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 the car traffic around it, these are different kinds of things you have to measure mm -hmm. versus, you know, like what I measure. And right. so you deliver a service that's in person. And so it adds another element, you know, where like your character and your wife's attitude really matter um, and it's different for me like I'm behind you know a screen most people don't even know who Omar is I probably have millions <laughs> of customers who have no idea who the hell I am right they don't yeah. know my journey or who I am <laughs> so now if somebody is like let's say let's say somebody has been relying on and maybe there, it's very few and far between but let's just say somebody has been relying on you know, traditional marketing, or maybe they've, they've gone with an agency who, who is really not delivering any sort of return on investment. And so they want to bring it in-house. They want to have that vertically integrated company. Um, what would you suggest to them? Like, should they go out and get like some college kid, you know, to start their own like internal marketing department, someone that's going to be a copywriter? Like, what, what would you suggest if you're kind of in that boat? Um, so first of all, like um, in this example, depends on like what the level of expertise is, right? If you're going to bring anybody who's young and that's sort of always my notion is I rather bring somebody on, but that's sort of like my mentorship kicks in. I rather bring on somebody and teach them a skill set. They're either going to love it here or they're going to hate it here, but they're going to learn a skill set when they leave. So that's like on a principle base, that's like what I want, want to do. But the, the crux of this whole thing depends on whether or not you're capable of being able to teach that individual. So if you bring somebody on and you're like, hey, really want to do content development in-house, do you know what that is so you can train that person? Otherwise, you're just wasting their time because they're going to come and they're going to look to you for answers. 
There are certain individuals that have the capacity when you tell them something that they're going to be able to be resourceful enough to say, okay, I'm going to go learn this, right? If you're like, hey, I want you to crush it in email, they know how to develop email lists, they know how to source emails, um, like properly, of course, you know, like they know how um, how to build funnels for it, they know how to drip the funnel, they know how to want to exit somebody from the funnel, um, that they're going to research all this and they're going to do it, right? There's very few individuals that you'll meet as, as an entrepreneur that you can just be lucky enough to meet that person and then that person that's willing to work for you, right? Because the truth is if somebody was that good, they'd be doing it themselves. Yeah. Alternatively, you can get equally as talented people who just need a little bit of training. So if you're not good at it, if you don't know, and if you just listen to a few podcasts and you've heard about drip emails and you've heard about top funnel and you've heard about landing pages, then if you don't know how to do it and you bring somebody on hoping that they're going to do it, I think that will be very difficult because if they don't know how to do it, then you're going to make their life that much more uh, difficult. So look into your internal resources and see whether or not you have the resources to train somebody because I think somebody who's a nascent graduate, they deserve an opportunity at the right environment to be able to like learn. So if they're able to learn and they can come, I like to tell people all the time, we don't have a ton of resources. You have to be resourceful. But the truth is I do, you know, the truth is I, I, I've been running this company for nine years. And so we have a ton of SOPs, a ton of all this stuff, but I don't want people to come in here thinking that they're going to have a large department with like 12 people above them. And you know, that their work is going to go unnoticed. No, 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 no. Like when you come, your work gets noticed. Like we sit in this like big environment, no cubicles, everybody sits in the same spot. So I hear you talking, I see you. <laughs> so there's no hiding in here. And so there has, like, I really look for individuals who have uh, two things, a zeal for their own success, but also are resourceful. Mm. Um, So to answer the question, um, what do you do? Do you hire somebody? Do you bring on a new agency? Do you hire somebody in-house? Do you hire somebody with expertise? I would figure out first what your resources are. And then um, in a long-winded way, figuring out, okay, well, if this person doesn't have, like, if I don't have the resources, then I might as well hire somebody with resources. But then... You look at like their provable track record. If they have a demonstrable track record that shows that they've been good at something and they have people who will speak about it. And there's somewhere out there, I won't say where, there's like uh, probably like two or three places where my questions are floating around about what I do when I bring people on. Mm. But I ask very specific questions that let me determine whether or not you're A, that you're the kind of personality that'll fit in here, but B, also that you actually have had some moniker of success in whatever it is that you want to do for us. I'm the first person to tell you hire in-house agencies. That doesn't mean that we don't work with agencies. Sure. Um, it just means that you have to go through um, a, a vetting process. And then it always helps if you can get recommendations mm-hmm. um, because recommendations are in many ways. I mean, you're taking the word of somebody else who has had success with them. Right. So I don't, I don't have to tell you about it. I mean, yeah. you know, you're in a physical business, so you understand that much better. Your customers who come in through somebody else telling them about your dance studio probably outlast anybody else who's Googled you or sure. you know, has just like wants to do it for the weekend or something. That I suspect that if somebody's like if if you know, if, if somebody tells them about your dance studio that they stick around for longer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. A couple of quick questions to close it out. So first, I do have to say on your bio, I love that it was something about like living my life like one rap lyric at a time. And so who is your hip hop spirit animals? Like who is the, who is the oh, hip hop artist that you can? Man, okay. So I'll, I'll go through my, the evolution. It used to be Jay-Z. Okay. 
Um, and grow, yeah, growing up in Indiana Beach and like going to Manhattan Beach High School, it wasn't like I was in the rough kid, you know, but like during a time when like two, there was like major BP in the East Coast, West Coast, I was the guy who listened to East Coast rap in a West Coast school. And it was oh, like, cool. a, like my friends like hated me. I'm like, dude, I don't, whatever, Jay-Z speak to me. <laughs> so I went from Jay-Z to Kanye when Kanye was like a little bit more brash and, yeah. um, less or less controversial, but more brash about like his attitude. Like he's just got this like, you know, sort of fuck you attitude. Um, to like Drake and now sort of like ASAP Rocky and, and, and Travis Scott. Um, but like, I, I, I realized I really like rap lyrics where look, it's a, it's a little commercial obviously, but I like rap lyrics that are, that are a little like egotistical and narcissistic in such a way, because like, I don't like to speak of myself that way, but yeah. I think deep down we're all a little bit. And then we're like, yeah, this guy's speaking to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I think too, like when you're talking about just that, that kind of chip on your shoulder kind of mentality. I mean, that's, that's hip hop personified too. It's like all these people that have these like stories of coming up and, and, you know, I think, you know, Biggie's story is so fantastic too. In that same regard where he, started with nothing and then they're just kind of like grinding to get to that point where they're relevant and successful. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like rappers are like the quint, like the, the, every sort of entrepreneur who gets on stage and says, I started with nothing. I mean, that's what like rappers have done their entire lives. Right? Yeah. Right? Like very poor upbringings or um, not a lot of means. And then they've just sort of like defied the odds, you know, and we've now have had two, three generations of people looking up to people who produce that genre of music and those people who've made success stories out of themselves. Um, you know, everyone from Jay-Z to Dr. Dre to Snoop Dogg to, you know, Pharrell. Um, I mean, these are like now um, at a time where they were just making music. Now they're considered musicians. When we got to experience that in our lifetime, we got to experience, you know, our parents being really upset at us when we would play that music in our bedrooms mm -hmm. to now them uh, you know, the Jay-Z's of the world and, and the Pharrell's of the world, not only just being sort of rewarded for their musical talents, but being rewarded for their business geniuses and um, other areas. And so, you know, like, I, I guess you could say that we were the early adopters to that. Yeah. So. What's the best piece of advice that you think someone's ever given you? If you had to like, think about it, um, could come from any source, what would it be? My, uh, one of my life mentors when I was, 18 and 19 years old. He's very, very humble. He came from nothing and he made himself a millionaire, lived in this like posh house. In fact, I was a security guard opening the gates to, not a security guard, a gate guard that opened and closed the gates to these super luxury homes where there was like 20 homes or something. And I remember this one time I was over at his house. He became my life mentor later. And he's a super, super humble guy. He was a self-made man. And he had like one too many wines and he was sitting in his office meeting. Like I was just, I don't, honestly, I don't even know why I was there. And um, he goes, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was, and I, I actually didn't even know that he was an attorney. I said, I want to be an attorney. And he looked at me, he goes, why? Because I have all this. And he's a very humble man. Like for him to say that, like meant like he had one too many drinks. And I was like, I was like, oh, are you an attorney? He goes, yeah. Um, and I was like, well, I just want to have, you know, like I want to be rich or something. I don't remember what I said. And he said, there are plenty of other people who are much more rich than I am and has nothing to do with me being an attorney. And I was like, that actually really sort of opened my eyes that at a very young age that you don't have to follow a path. And I think this generation is really keen on that. If they haven't taken anything away, it's just that, that they need to be entrepreneurs. 
but I think that for me, at least since you asked me that question, that's what changed my life for me is knowing that. But I think for your generation, the one thing that I think should help them, and if, if I can be that person for them, the one thing that should change their, their, their sort of outlook on life is that people putting entrepreneur on their Instagram bio is a fad. It will go away. What won't are the people who outlast that fad. So figure out like why you want to be an entrepreneur. If it's because you don't want to work nine to five, well, fucking tough shit. Cause you know what? Um, <laughs> ask any entrepreneur whether or not they work nine to five. They'll probably tell you I work like six to like 6 a.m. to like, you know, till I fall asleep at 2 a.m. and then I'm back four hours later. <laughs> yeah. So no, there's like, if you think you're not going to work or you're just doing it because you've seen people with Instagram bios with, you know, like traveling and, and driving exotics and doing all that stuff. No, dude, that's just the tip of the iceberg. You haven't seen the hard work. If you had to think of a book that has really leveled you up in some way, like, or a book that maybe you buy for people all the time, because you're really passionate about, you know, the, the content there, like what, what book would you say has like helped you the most? So I'll tell you the business book I give out. The business book that I recommend all the time is Deep Work. And I think we've lost that notion of working on things that matter versus looking busy, right? Um, as David Hansen of Basecamp says, focusing on signals rather than noise is really important. And Deep Work is all about that. It's this notion of being completely unplugged, even if it's for two hours, four hours, six hours. And if you do that regularly, that's when like sort of real magic happens. Uh, but a book that I always give people um, is something that changed me, who I am as a person and the notion of like my identity is um, Edward Said's Orientalism. No relations, but um, Edward Said was a comparative literature professor at Columbia University. And he um, looked at sort of like through comparative literature, what it means to come from the Orient and how the West views the Orient and the people from there. Wow. But it just sort of talks about hegemonic discourse and borrows idea from Michel Foucault and expands on um, the idea of the other from uh, Martin Luther King. Um, and it's something that like is, you know, for someone like me with my background and my history and the immigrant household that I came from, it gave me sort of a real understanding of what was happening in the world for me anyway. But yeah, so those are two books that I recommend. Oh, cool. Man, I'll have to put that on my, uh, my Audible list. That sounds great. Yeah. What's the one thing, the big takeaway, whether it's like something about your story that you feel like can speak to any sector of, of the audience? Like what, what's something that you want people to take away from, from your story and, and your success? It's a journey. If you fall in love with the journey, the, the process itself will be enjoyable. Rather than focusing on the end result, there is never an end. As we said before, there is never an end to, to any of this that you do. But I think equally as important is knowing that uh, whenever you're building something that you don't ostracize yourself and just purely focusing on your business, go out and network, meet other people, mm -hmm. share, the, share your journey. I mean, even if it's not online, even if it's not like a larger community, but if you meet people who are like like-minded within the area that you live in and it doesn't matter where you are and if you live like i don't know in a small state or a small town in a big state and you don't have access you know get online uh, meet people who are above you meet people who are going through your journey because you can learn from those individuals like i look at people who are doing 100 million 200 million dollars because i want to know what it takes to get there 
but I enjoy meeting people who are like 50, $60 million because then we get to share our journeys. I get to learn from them. I get to see their marketing tactics, even if it's over coffee and that experience you can't get from just reading blogs or listening to podcasts or listening to this, right? That journey only comes from doing that. And then uh, invest in yourself. You know, I get a lot of mentees or mentee requests. Um, that's in a time investment. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I'll tell them about a course that I think they should take. And they're like, yeah, but it's like $40 a month. I'm like, yeah. So like, dude, <laughs> did you not know life costs money? Um, or, you know, like a conference, it's like a couple of hundred dollars or a couple thousand dollars. They're like, oh yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but like last weekend you were like out by the beach, like drinking, you know, like a Starbucks coffee, right? Like, so if you haven't crushed it yet, where like that doesn't matter, then you should cut that out and focus on saving your money for stuff like this. That's going to, that's going to be a thing. And then lastly, while you're going through this journey, what's also really important in this entire process is if you are able to celebrate milestones. So we all have this sort of, you know, this epic end result we'd like to achieve. A, that's going to change a bunch of times, whatever it is, right? Because I'm sure when I started, I had a different vision versus what I have now being married and all that stuff. That vision always changes. That epic picture of you changes, but also the journey itself, when I say enjoy it, I mean, celebrate those milestones, like smaller milestones when you get there, you know, when you hit a hundred customers, when you hit a, a thousand customers, whatever it is, when you hit what, what if it's a dollar, dollar amount, whatever it is, celebrate those micro moments because it encourages you to go towards the next thing and next goal that you set for yourself. If you're just like, oh no, I don't have that Porsche parked in my garage or you know, I don't have a million dollars sitting in my bank account. It's going to be a really tough journey for you going through that process because then all you're focusing on is this thing. Um, and the way you actualize those goals, by the way, I really believe in this. The way you actualize those goals is if you put these goals down, then it becomes more real instead of just saying, I want to own a house. I want to be successful. Well, what does that mean to you? So I'm, I'm, I'm helping this husband and wife build a brand. I met the husband on a trip to China. Like the, his wife is really fantastic and it's really her dream child. She really wants to build it. And I was sitting in, uh, when we're talking about, she goes, I'm getting, you know, like I'm getting at an age in my life where, you know, I don't know if I want kids, but I definitely know that I don't want to live like this anymore. And like, we've been doing this business for five years and I don't know where it's going. And, you know, I work on it every single day and I'm like, well, what do you want? And she goes, I want a $5 million exit. I said, great. You want that? How are you going to get there? Right. Well, actually what she says, she goes, she goes, I, I want an exit. I'm like, well, what does that look like? And she goes, I don't know. I'm like 10 million, 15 million, 2 million, 5 million. I mean, of course she was like 25 million or whatever. And then we worked the math backwards. She goes, yeah, okay. That's not realistic. So what we settled on now is $5 million. And we worked the math backwards. This is okay. Well, if you want to build the company's valuation to X amount, right to $5 million, how much do you have to sell for you to build your valuation up? to that amount. And she was like thinking about it. And so we did the math backwards and I said, okay, well, per unit, this is what your product costs. How many of these do you have to sell per month, per week, per day for you to hit that? And now it's becoming more real for her. Now that's what she's working towards because now she has a goal to hit, right? Because as soon as she hits that goal, she'll meet that multiple and then she can go out shopping the company or people will come knock on her door. But until then, when you say like, I just want to exit and I want millions of dollars, like great, (laughs) what does that mean? Now how are you going to get that? So set those goals. I think it's really, really important. That's so cool. That reminds me of uh, John Doerr's book that measure what matters. Did you get a chance to read that one yet? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I know. I love that. Reverse engineer that that big figure, the big astronomical thing, and then you just whittle it down to something that's really scalable. I think that that's, that's so great. Well, Omar, this has been so much fun, man. It's been like great picking your brain. And uh, I think that this is going to be such a great value for every business owner that's out there. Um, or people that want to kind of go from just having entrepreneur on their <laughs> on their Instagram profile to actually delivering and executing on that. So thanks so much for taking the time, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. it. Thank you very much. Yeah. And if anybody wants to get a hold of me, Instagram is probably your best friend. It's Omar, O-M-A-R, Saeed, S-A-Y-Y-E-D. Okay. And is it the same thing on Twitter or is it just, is that? Yeah, Instagram? same thing on Twitter. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. That's awesome. So Thank you so much again, Omar, and uh, and we'll have to do a follow up at some point, and we can uh, we'll we'll do a strictly hip hop show next time. Let's do it. We'll talk <laughs> about lyrics. We'll talk about like all the lyrics that have gotten me where I've gotten. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I appreciate being uh, on here. Thank you for having absolutely. me. Absolutely. I just want to thank Omar for being such a great guest. It was so much fun getting a chance to chat with him. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, you know, talking with him, it reminds me of a guy that I grew up with, and uh, we used to play this basketball game called Limo, and the idea is that you go one-on-one with somebody, and then you eliminate them from the game, but if you call Limo, that means that you can win the whole game, but the deal is, is that you have to go up against everybody on the court, so it's you versus maybe five to ten people, and this guy, he would call Limo every single time and he'd usually knock a bunch of us out of the game all at once. He just believed in himself that much. And when I listen to Omar, he reminds me so much of him. Omar refined his skills, he developed his strategy, and he bet on himself and he just keeps knocking down shot after shot. You know, Wayne Gretzky said that you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. And Jay-Z said, You can hit a half-court shot once, that's just the luck of the draw, but if you consistently do it, that's excellence. And I think Omar Syed is a great example of entrepreneurial excellence. As you journey outside of your comfort zone, consider this podcast as your travel companion. So if you're enjoying it, please go to iTunes, search Off the Floor, and hit the subscribe button. Thanks so much for listening. 